As always, the presenting sponsor of the Audible is Trader Joe's. Welcome to the Audible. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined by Bruce Feldman. Late, late night edition after the national championship game here in San Jose. You hate this podcast, don't you? I actually enjoy this podcast. I think you, my friend, from the this is the one one time you everybody gets to hear the like low gravelly version <laughs> of your voice. Yeah, I hate this. Po- I hate this edition just because it's like in the middle of the night, and I know I only get like an hour of sleep coming up, or not that, not even. Um, but we're on Pacific time, so we're all good. We are. We're okay. You're all good because you don't have to get on a plane. You don't have to go anywhere. I have uh, to be back at my house in like five hours for when my daughter wakes up. Okay. Well. The disadvantage of a home game. So we just had the national title game, and I think it's the one outcome neither one of us thought was possible. Right. Which was Clemson would blow Alabama out of the building. How do you feel about that? It's, it's surreal. You know, we've we've I think we've covered and watched so many Alabama games under Nick Saban. And yes, we've seen them lose a few of them, but we've just never seen them get destroyed like that. This and was like an Urban Meyer loss when it goes bad, <laughs> like, you know. Like like but it was, wasn't Purdue. This was this look, I I've said all season these were the two best teams. I thought Clemson was on Alabama's level. I didn't really get too caught up in the fact that they were playing mediocre ACC teams because they're blowing them all out. But I will say, within the 48 hours before the game, I kind of talked myself into, this is a bad matchup for them. I don't think they're going to be able to cover Alabama's receivers. I'm not sure how their offensive line is going to hold up. Well, it turned out that their offensive line played fantastic. I mean, look, it's the combination of Tua, who's been so outstanding all season, had his worst game of the year through two interceptions that really cost them, and the story of Trevor Lawrence and his receivers. Right. There, you know, I think for a lot of people, first of all, I'm not sure how many people have seen that much of Clemson. Because if you think about it, this was a pretty bad year beyond Clemson of the ACC, right? And Florida State wasn't very good. Miami wasn't very good. You know, there was nobody in that conference that was outside of them that was really that good. Even their championship conference championship was a, a pit game. Yeah. yeah. So and then I, they did, and then they clobbered Notre Dame, and, the, and everybody was just like, "Well, Notre Dame wasn't very good. They shouldn't have been there." Yeah. Blah blah blah. By the way, so I talked to Jeff Scott, who's the co-offensive coordinator and the receivers coach at Clemson after the game, and he said they had a lot of respect for the Notre Dame secondary last week, and he said, you know, that we actually thought there were more favorable matchups we had tonight. Which I mean, you can read between the lines on that and say basically, I think Notre Dame secondary was better than I thought Alabama's secondary. And, you know, yeah, okay. So Alabama lost whatever it was, five, five, their top five defensive backs from last year. But I, I don't know if I want to say we got lulled into believing that they would just jump right back into place with newcomers. But, you know, you talk to some coaches who faced them, and they were a little skeptical of how good their defensive backs actually were. And what I think we saw was Clemson, which has produced – in the last decade, a bunch of ridiculously athletic receivers. You know, they had two, especially uh, T. Higgins, who we knew a lot about, a six-four sophomore. But then, um, you know, really the revelation beyond Trevor Lawrence in the playoffs was a kid, a six-four, two hundred-pound receiver, ironically enough, 
from Alabama who picked the Tigers over the Crimson Tide. And you're talking about Justin Ross, who had a big game against Notre Dame last week as well. I go all the way back to being at Alabama in the spring and talking to Nick Saban about the challenge of replacing their top six defensive backs from last year, the four starters, the nickelback, and the dimeback. Then they get into the season and lose Trevon Diggs, who was one of the more experienced guys. Patrick Sertan starting as a freshman. But I think it speaks to the lack of big-time receivers in the SEC that they just managed to get by all season with that. And like you said, kind of lull us into thinking, oh, they're fine. They're fine back there. Well, Georgia had some success against them. Oklahoma, obviously too little too late, but did have some success. I think in hindsight they caught a real break that Marquise Brown was not himself in that game. He could have done some damage because that, yeah, they didn't play well tonight. No, and, you know, I go back, there's a story just in, like a little inside baseball. So we were doing these files for they were supposed to run. You know, if, my, if Alabama wins the national title, I have a story that's going to run. And one of the things that was in it was this scene from they play Ole Miss in week three. And right out of the gate, first play from scrimmage, uh, DK Metcalf torches Savion Smith. And so what happens is then Carl Scott, who's a defensive backs coach, kind of gets with the DBs and was like, basically it was a technique mistake. And they fixed it. They thought they fixed it and anything. But we saw a couple of huge plays. And I think it was a case, again, where, you know, I think Pat Sertan is going to be a really good defensive back. I mean, he was a really hyped five-star kid coming in. But that's the area where the drop-off was, you know. And Quinn and Williams, I think, covered a lot of that up because he was so disruptive. And he had some moments uh, in the national title game. But for the most part, as you said earlier, the Clemson offensive line really was the unsung hero. After the game, I talked to Dexter Lawrence, who happened to be sitting in his locker. As we know, he was suspended for the game and for the playoff for a positive drug test. And he said, you know, for people who don't know, I mean, and he he was a little more gracious in saying this, but they go up against the best defensive line in the country every day. And he said, we really go at it, and it's about developing each other. And that paid off because I think, why would you be intimidated going up against Quinton Williams in Alabama if you're seeing Christian Wilkins and Dexter Lawrence and, and about eight other guys every day? Because that, I think, really, they were in a comfort zone. Of course, at the same time, Alabama went up 16-14 in the second quarter and never scored again. So it was not a great night for their offense as well. You know, it was a little jarring to see Tua throw. Both of those interceptions were just... What was he doing there? Kind of throws, right? No, nothing. I think they were, about it. you know, credit to Brent Venables and his guys. Yeah. They schemed up some stuff. I talked to some of their coaches that they felt like they could. There were some things they'd seen Tua do where he would be very aggressive, and he was very aggressive on the second interception, especially where they go into like a heavy, heavy look, and their guy, Clemson's defensive back, bails out, and Tua really never adjusts. He just kind of went for it, and you have two, if you have two picks in a game. Your chances of winning the game if the the talent gap is is not significant or not great, and I think that was just a case of Clemson played a lot cleaner game. Well, at that point in the game, there was a point in the game when he was twelve of fourteen with two touchdowns and the two incompletions were the interceptions, and so they were moving the ball. Um, Najee Harris would come in and have some good success running the ball. Uh, they struggled in the red zone, they, but yeah, that they, they kept having to go to that Josh Jacobs. You know, wildcat. wildcat formation. 
But it, where it really seemed to unravel to me was the fake field goal. Because that was the sign that which is again, we were talking about there's so many uncharacteristic Alabama things that happen in this game. It's very uncharacteristic to see him panic like that. That was the sign that he felt like we can't settle for a field goal here because this is getting away from us. And it was just such a poorly executed play, which he admitted to afterward, where the kicker is the lead blocker uh, for the backup quarterback. And at that point, you know, they, they, so, that, so they, they don't get it. And then it's, I don't know if it was the very next play, but it was definitely the next series, maybe two or three plays in, the 74-yard touchdown on the sideline where Savion Smith fell and got hurt, possibly seriously hurt, uh, and the game was over at that point. And it's like, when have you ever caught an Alabama game where not only did they lose, but it was decided with, you know, halfway through the third quarter. Yeah, it's a, it was a, just a, like I said, it was a surreal kind of night. Well, it's obviously a huge night for Dabo and Clemson, and um, I wrote it. I'm sure everybody, half the rest of the internet wrote it. I, I think it changes our perception. I mean, we've, we're just so conditioned. We've been so con- Bruce, by the way, is literally falling asleep next to me. Like, his eyes are closing. I'm okay. All right. You also have some glitter in your hair from the, I assume, from the confetti. What do you mean, assume from the confetti? What, did I go out before I went to the game? Did you go to a rave afterward? No. We've just been so used to for so long, Alabama lording over the sport. And, yeah, they'd have the year Ohio State beat them in the semis and went to them and won the national title. Or even two years ago, Hunter Renfro, the last second catch. But it's still, you know, you still ended up somehow at some point in every season where I don't know if anybody can beat Alabama. I mean, how, how often did we hear early in the season? I th- is this going to be the greatest team of all time or what? And uh, the Georgia game took a little bit of that, you know, that feeling away. But you still went into this feeling like if Alabama wins this game, as they were favored to do against Clemson, it's just, you know, more of the same. Now I really feel like you've got two superpowers. And Clemson did not have – this is true credit to Dabo, right? Alabama had a long history. Bear Bryant. History, they were down for a while. Saban came in and, and, and got this going. But – Clemson, outside of that national title in the early Danny 80s, Ford, yeah. yeah, has not been a had not been a premier program, and now you can sit here and honestly say they there's nobody better. You know, if, if, at worst they're equals with Alabama. They have the same exact record with the same number of national titles over the last four years. Trevor Lawrence and that practically whole offense will be back next season, other than of course Hunter Renfro finally has run out of eligibility. The whole Alabama Clemson fatigue thing, I don't really have it myself but it just does feel like these two are playing a different at a different level than everybody else right now you know i think something different out of this now i think i don't think there was beginning of the end of the dynasty no 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 (laughs) i think that what you have no but what you do have i think is more alabama fatigue than clemson fatigue right i don't know if people have clemson fatigue i i would be curious and maybe it's too soon to kind of wait wait into this but Clemson dominated that game, you know, and I think that that and I'm not saying Clemson is going to now went going around where they look like North Dakota State or something, but the fact that they won so convincingly, I mean, you can have two programs go back and forth. I think the idea is, you know, for a lot of people, and I would put myself included, it was like, you know what, I'm going to pick Alabama until somebody makes shows me right. I don't need to. And that might have happened tonight because when you look at it, you not only said not only have every, almost everybody back, but you know Hunter Lawrence is a true freshman. Uh, Justin Ross is a true freshman. Travis Etienne is a sophomore. T. Higgins is a sophomore. Amari Rogers is a sophomore. I mean, it's not like these guys are are even juniors. I mean, and again, some of those guys I mentioned are, are three and outs. I mean, 
Jeff Scott didn't even like Men's words. He was like, yeah, I'm glad we have Trevor Lawrence for another two years. I mean, this is like people used to joke about the – the recruiting hat, you know, like recruiting hat dance, and I'm going to commit. I'm going to spend the next three years of my life, whatever. But this guy, especially with with Trevor Lawrence, I talked to an old NFL coach who said he has first pick in the draft talent. Yeah, and you can think they're only going to get better, and he's got great receivers around him. What I wasn't sure of going into the game was the fact that he's more of a drop back passer. That he's not going to. He he doesn't have the Kyler Murray style. Nobody that Al- you know, he's not a dual threat quarterback, really. So the guys that you think of over the years just giving Saban so much trouble were dual threat quarterbacks. Didn't matter. The guy just made all the right reads. And so so you're saying that going forward, you think, what, Clemson? You, you said you took a, had a different take when I said I think there's now two, two dynasties, basically, dueling dynasties who it's like Lakers Celtics in the 80s. Like they took turns winning the championship, but they were clearly the best teams in the league. I think that's what we have here right now. Yeah, I think everybody would agree. I don't know how you wouldn't agree with that because they want, now Clemson won two national titles in a short period well, I don't of time. know. We're only a few days removed from me hearing constantly on Twitter that we just this was just because we didn't put the right teams in the playoff. If only we had put Ohio State or UCF or whoever, then maybe they would have exposed Clemson and Alabama. And maybe, I, I doubt it, but, you know, look, Dwayne Haskins against that secondary, if they could protect him, I think Dwayne Haskins would light, light that secondary up too. Yeah. I mean, they have experienced receivers. They're not as big, but they have speed. They have plenty of speed. I mean, Paris Campbell can run is probably faster than anybody Clemson has. And, again, I, don't, I there's no need to go down this Ohio State or somebody else route. But uh, I definitely think – I don't want to say this is good for football because that means Alabama losing is, you know, like the, the upshot of that. But I, I do think that there's something to be said for – Okay, you know, there, like you said, there are two, and this was so convincing. Well, two years ago when Clemson won and won the way they did, I definitely felt like that was good for college football because at that point it was starting to feel like nobody could beat Alabama. And, and it showed – I mean, more than that, though, like Clemson was, was a breakthrough program. It was like new blood. Then I think when people – I got the sense on Twitter, and I know Twitter is not a perfect representation, that when people were referencing Alabama-Clemson fatigue, they were getting – bogged down on last year's game, which was obviously unmemorable and a dud in the Sugar Bowl. And kind of like, because I was like, what? why would you have fatigue? The last two national championship games they played were classics, but people were hung up on last year's game. So now they come back, they play again, and if Alabama had won, you'd be like, oh, yeah, I don't want to see this anymore. I know how it's going to end. Now it's 2-2. If they do end up playing again next year in New Orleans, it'll be kind of a rubber match. I have my early... By the time you have listened to this, you'll probably have seen my early top 25. Um, my early read on next year is that, yeah, you have those two. Then you've also got Georgia and Ohio State. And then it was just like throwing darts after that. Like those those four, to me, were so clear above anybody else I could have considered for Listen. number four, LSU. Um, did you – I'm trying to remember because I actually read your top 25. Did you have Clemson one or Alabama one? I saved it till the – you know – you, you saw it before the game, and the instructions the editor was whoever wins gets number one. So, uh, so it'll be Clemson one, Alabama two, Ohio State three, Georgia four. Okay. We can get into that next week and for the next eight months. Uh, I should note that earlier on Monday, this has been a long, long day. It has been a long, long day. I spent the morning camped out at the Fairmont, the hotel across the street from us, where the commissioners and the university presidents who – oversee the playoff we're having them their their first meetings 
ever since um, the Clawback stories on our site, there were Jim Delaney and Bob Bowlesby and others. So they're open to exploring an 18 playoff. So we staked out that meeting for three hours. They mostly avoided us. They put out a statement afterward, which many of you may have seen from Mississippi State's president, who is the chair of the board. The message of that statement was, hey, everybody back off. We are so far from being able to tell you anything about an 18 playoff. We need to really take some time and think about this. But they definitely didn't close the door on it. And uh, that's something we'll be following here over the next six months or so. It sure seems like the message that came out of that meeting was, well, let me rephrase that. I think there's a split amongst college football right now where you've got some conferences that really want to go to eight, some conferences that haven't made up their mind, but they're open to it. And then like the SEC is no thanks. And uh, yeah, I mean, they specifically, we pressed him on it, both him and Bill Hancock is, are you definitely staying at four? They wouldn't close the door on it. So I think it's, you know, I think it's going to take a while to sort it all out. But um, they made it clear that, that this is a, I believe the quote was, you know, we're exploring every possible way or that we might be able to improve the playoffs. So that would possibly include expansion of it. Well, we'll see. Like you said, there's plenty of time to talk about it uh, over the next few months. So there's one thing you said earlier I wanted to go back to, which is, you know, the idea of I'm not going to pick against Alabama until somebody proves otherwise. I felt that way, too. I felt like, well, I like I think it's going to be a great game and I like Clemson's chances. But they, the few times I've ever picked out against Alabama, they made me look dumb. This was really the first time we've seen them be mortal. So do you go into next season? Like, do you think you'll go, you'll be conditioned to go right back to Alabama? They're Alabama. They're mighty Alabama. Uh, they'll roll to the playoff. Or do you think like. You might find yourself from week to week being, I don't know, this might be a bad game for their secondary. Well, look, I think some of those guys will will, will get better. But I, I'm going to look at it now going, well, I might pick that pick Clemson against them. I'm not sure who in the SEC matches up that well with them. Well, I think the one that's looming on the other side still is Georgia. And that's... Georgia lost, by the way, some really good players yeah. early to the NFL. I'm, I'm not saying they're not, but... You know, here's the thing with Georgia. They played Alabama pretty tough. I don't know. I'm I'm not at this point I'm not seeing them like you said earlier. I see the gap is is between 2 to 3. I don't think it's between, I don't think there's going into this weekend, I think a lot of people looked at it and go, "You know what? There's three teams that are the most talented. Alabama, Clemson, and Georgia." Right. I, I you know, something I saw tonight made me think, "No, there's two. Mm-hmm. I don't I won't put Georgia in there. I mean, to me Georgia Quite honestly, it's closer to LSU than I think they are to Alabama. Yeah, it's a weird feeling. So I've been doing these early top 25s for years, and it was it was just a weird thing to be like, yep, here's these four, and then I don't really have any confidence in anybody else. And by the way, you're picking Ohio State with your, based on Justin Fields' recruiting rankings. Yes, I am. It's true. If he doesn't turn out to be all that, then— Because they've lost—I mean, it's going to be the first full year of Ryan Day. They lost a bunch of good receivers. Their offensive line was kind of really, really inconsistent. Now, Chase Young is back, but I don't know. This is a team that wasn't great on defense, and, you know, as the news came out today— Greg Madison left Michigan to right. go be a co-coordinator with Jeff Halfley, who comes from the 49ers. By the way, an old protege of Dave Wanstatz. I don't know. I'm the not... Greg Schiano era at Ohio. The Greg Schiano and uh, Alex Grinch eras at Ohio State are over. That is true. So, well, 
I know that we have had years where the teams that played in the national title game started 1-2 the next year. It may even have been the case after the Alabama-Clemson game two years ago. It probably was. But I just don't remember sitting here after the game on the Monday night thinking, like, I'm, I feel it's going to take something shocking for them not to play each other in next year's national title game. Now, somebody could come up that we're not expecting, but it just seems like they're, Clemson's going to be the same on offense, if not better. So is Alabama. Though I think the one thing where Alabama lost a little bit of luster, not just tonight, but also against Oklahoma, is the idea that they always reload on defense. Well, they didn't fully pull it off this year. Right. Although, at the beginning of the game, can I out you by saying you turned to me and said, how badly would Ohio State have, how badly would Alabama <laughs> win this game for you to say that this team. What was the score at that point? I think it was probably 7-6 or 7-7. Seven, seven. No, no, because they scored three touchdowns in the first. The first five minutes of that game were awesome. There were three touchdowns. One of them was the pick six. Maybe it was, so I think maybe it was, it was 13-7. I, they missed, no, I know. It was after Alabama missed the 14 extra point. 14-13. It was 14-13. And at that point, I'm thinking, okay, Alabama's going to get their act together here soon. And, yes, I turned to you and said, and I was thinking of the Miami grad in you, what would they have to do from this point forward in this game to convince you that they're better than 2001 Miami? Yeah, well, they didn't do it. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. I did ask you, though, and I think it was a legitimate question, that until they went belly up in the second half, just from a pure talent standpoint, did this Alabama, would you put this Alabama offense up against the Reggie Bush, Bush, Matt Liner? Liner? You were pretty, you were pretty against it, but like, they've got this fantastic quarterback who had a bad game tonight. Right. They've got probably their top four receivers will probably all go to the NFL. Their tight end will go to the NFL. Their top three running backs will go to the NFL. The, it's it's the, a loaded offense. It is, but I think you you forget, because he was a good NFL player, not a great NFL player, Reggie Bush was, a, was one of the all-time great college football players. He was an ultimate weapon. Alabama has nobody like Reggie Bush. And by the way, Lendell White was a beast of a running back behind him. You could even stick in... You know, Chauncey Washington was the number three guy. Like, Alabama's got really good running backs. Reggie Bush was was unstoppable. He he was. Uh, nobody would dispute that. Him and Lendell I feel White. Like you're disputing it. <laughs> were, well, they're just built differently. They were a great one-two punch, but Alabama's got— th- Alabama doesn't have a, a Reggie Bush, but they've got three— Guys who would be the star running back on any other team? They wouldn't have, you know what? Except they wouldn't have been. The, and I don't think any one of those guys would have been one or two at USC, though. They would have been the third string running back at USC. There is no. Way I in, think there is no way in hell one of those guys would have been the starting running back over Reggie Bush. No, of course not. But I think you may be romanticizing Lendale White a little bit. You don't like him because he's fat. That's what it is. No, <laughs> what are you talking about? He's a he was a great college running back, but so is. Najee Harris. He just doesn't get as many carries because they've got three of them. Anyway, we're talking, and we're not even talking about the team that just won. I mean, next year, we might be talking about next year's Clemson offense this way. We might be. You know, look. They actually, you know, when you think about tonight, I don't have the box score in front of me, but Travis Etienne had a 17-yard touchdown run and, like, a long catch. It's pretty much pedestrian stats. Yeah, like, it's not like they, they whooped Alabama, and it wasn't like he went for 150. Like, it was almost entirely... Through the air. Yeah, and it was, as we said, aided by two picks that I think yeah. that was the that was something Oklahoma didn't do that. Oklahoma, you know, granted their defense is nowhere near as talented as, as Clemson's, but they had no turnovers. If they could have gotten some turnovers, who knows? You know, because they, they did exploit that defense in the second half especially. All right, so let me throw this curveball at you since you're always throwing them at me. Okay, this was clearly Clemson at its best. 
and this was not Alabama anywhere near its best. If those two teams play ten times, what what what's the result? I would say it's probably six to four, Clemson. Six to four, Clemson. What would you say? I'd say they split it five five. Okay. Yeah, I think the I think they are closer together than tonight's score indicated. This was just one of those those blowouts that happen sometimes when one of the two teams doesn't bring its A game, you know, and and honestly, it hasn't happened that much. You know, one thing about the the playoff as opposed to the BCS is because they play the week before, you generally don't get like somebody laying an egg like like in the BCS. You know, I think of the Troy Smith Ohio State team that just came out and looked nothing like they had all season long against Florida. They had like a fifty day layoff. I think one of the reasons we've generally seen really good championship games is because the teams played the week before. But, man, it was like the Orange Bowl never happened. <laughs> like Alabama looked like they Alabama looked like they were, um, you know, like the, it was like the third week of preseason camp and they were still working out the kinks. Yeah, and look, credit to Clemson for that. They got them off balance and they did some really interesting things scheme-wise. So it's a good one. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a good – springboard into 2019 for the for college football all right i'm not going to make you try to stay awake any longer i mean this has set a new record for just how asleep you are in the middle of this podcast we appreciate it's the end of the season we appreciate all you guys listening all season we will continue to go weekly though throughout the off season i'm sure we'll have much to talk about by this time next week and of course at that time since it will not be the middle of the night we will be answering your mailbag questions, which you can send to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. We'll see you next time. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to The Audible on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a five-star review while you're at it. It helps get the word out. Thanks to Trader Joe's for being our presenting sponsor. Our producer is Nick Fink. Our theme song is Dangerous by Kevin and the Octave. You can download their music on iTunes and Spotify. Follow me, Stu, at SL Mandel on Twitter and Bruce at Bruce Feldman CFB and subscribe to The Athletic. If you haven't done so already, you can try it for free, seven-day free trial at theathletic.com slash free trial. So come on, get